Hi, welcome back to Students of the Word. This is session number four, in which we discuss verse three and indeed finish the entire first sentence of the epistle. Uh, today's session was a really exciting one for me. Um, I feel like I really learned a lot. It was uh, very eye-opening for me in thinking about really the whole focus that John has through this epistle and kind of uh, where, as I you know say in the session, like where, where is the spotlight? You know, what's he what's he really focused on? And I felt like that really came into focus for me a lot more clearly during this episode. So uh, I hope you enjoy it and let's get going. All right. Well, let us jump back into the text today. It is time. Today's a big day because today we are going to get the main verb of our first sentence. How exciting is that, right? So uh, let us... um, yeah, the, the purpose of the proclamation is what we're is what we're getting at today. Um, and this is where I think not only do we finally get the verb, when we get to the verb, I was not surprised by the verb, right? The verb seemed to me quite what I was expecting. But what comes immediately after <laughs> the main verb is the thing, uh, one of the first things in John that completely blew my mind um, uh, when I stop to think about it in first John here. So uh, I'm excited to get to our main verb here as we uh, get as far as verse three, but let's start with a little bit of review, um, going back over those first two verses uh, and seeing where we So just first, just to let's, I'm going to start off reading it through. We're going to use the new American standard as I've been. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. Okay. There we have a complete sentence, finishing the sentence today. Very exciting. Um, okay, so um, I wanted to start with um, just actually some discussion we were having on Slack this past week, um, talking a little bit more about that, the word of life stuff. Like uh, the question was asked, what is the, what does that exactly mean? Like, I, you know, I've been emphasizing a few times that verse one is not a, like, it doesn't culminate in the word of life. It's not about the word. It's about the word of life stuff. And we were talking a little bit about like, what does that mean? Like, what's the signal? What's the difference? What's the difference there? So let me, let me just talk a little bit about that because I don't, I want to be really cautious about this. One of the hard things in talking about first John and what's going on in first John um, is as we discussed in the, in the very first class, and especially also in the second session as well, he's doing multiple things at once, right? So it's, you have to kind of keep multiple things. He's like, you have to kind of keep multiple balls in the air, right? As you're thinking about this. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying, it's, it's not like I'm saying he's not talking about Jesus. Like the first sentence, totally not about Jesus. Like, obviously he is talking about the word and the word of life, right? But, um, let me see if I can get at what I'm meaning by the word. Just again, back to the word of life stuff thing. What is the list of things, these noun clauses that we've been talking about, you know, so often, these noun clauses, which are marching through that first verse, um, that was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, 
what we have looked at in touch with our hands, that progression of increasing attention, increasing intimacy. And the way that those noun clauses are constructed is that there's like an empty, there's like a hole at the front of it, if you see what I mean, right? Um, that, that's why we, we were using the word stuff, right? That stuff that was from the beginning, we don't know what it is, right? We're just, he's just pointing at it, right? He's just pointing at it. That stuff that was from the beginning, you know, that what we heard, what we saw, what we looked at, what we handled. And so the kind of implicit question is, what is it, right? What is that thing that is the target of all of these actions, right? Um, And it's the first temptation, like the first response is to say, well, it's, it's Jesus, right? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the word. He's talking about the logos. Um, especially when you're thinking about the parallel to John chapter one, right? To the beginning of the gospel of John, which uses similar languages, uh, similar language uh, uh, about the word, especially, right? And of course, we're thinking about John and we're thinking about the uh, touching with his hands, right? Um, you know, when, when, if you have got the gospel of John chapter one in your head, right? When you're reading this and you're thinking about, you know, uh, the word being with God and the word being God and the word being made flesh, right? And then you've got the history of the gospel, right? And that, and, you know, Jesus was right there and I saw him and I touched him with my hands, right? All of that stuff kind of underlies this, right? So I'm not saying that those things are like irrelevant to this passage in any way, right? In a sense, yeah, he's saying those things. But the significance, I think, is that he kind of, when it sounds like we're coming to the end of that line of clauses, all of which have that same hole, right? That thing that was, that thing that we heard, that thing that we saw, and like, we're finally going to get to the thing. Like, so what is the thing, right? And we're kind of, at least I know I was expecting that that thing was going to be the word. The thing was going to be Jesus himself, right? Um, But it isn't. It's that thing that we heard, saw, touched, concerning the word of life. It's word of life stuff. It is the stuff about, it is not Jesus himself or not just Jesus himself that they, that we have touched and seen and looked at and gazed upon, right? Um, What we've done all those things to, what we've had those experiences with is the stuff concerning the word of life. It's like the effects of the word of life. It's the experience of the word of life. It is in this sense that like, I, you know, again, it's tempting to hear, to hear the beginning of first John as if he's going over the same ground, essentially, as happened in John chapter one, right? Cause it sounds, you know, we can see the connections and it seems so similar, but I'm pretty convinced that he's not going over the same ground at all. I think that what he's doing is writing a sequel to John chapter one, right? Um, Here's another, uh, that is, he's not announcing the coming of the Messiah. He's not announcing the incarnation of the word, right? If you think about it, that's the, that's the money verse, right? That's the, like, that's what we're building up to in John chapter one. I mean, what seems to me like the obvious kind of climax, right, of John chapter one is, um, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, right? You know, that's like, that's the big, that's the proclamation. That's the big deal, 
right? That's what John, that's, that's John one in a nutshell, right? Um, there's a lot to contextualize and talk about its significance, but at the end of the day, the thing being proclaimed in John chapter one of the, the you know, gospel of John chapter one is the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's not what he's building up here. He, he, he hits that, right? Um, but he goes, he goes beyond that or sort of what comes after that, right? It's the word of life stuff that he is, the stuff of concerning the word of life. Things like the consequences. Okay, so the incarnation. That, that that happened, right? That happened and it was there and I was there and it was good, right? Um, now what? Now what? Jesus is not here anymore. Jesus ascended, right? And here we all are, reader and writer alike, living in a post-resurrection world. So what? What now, right? Um, that, I think, that's my... Uh, opinion. That's my reading of what John is talking about here and why he's being, why he doesn't just say, um, you know, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, colon, the word, right? Um, it's the stuff concerning the word of, and then notice, of course, in verse two, as we saw last time, where does he immediately go? And the life was manifested. The life was revealed. And we have seen and testify and proclaim the eternal life which was with the father and was manifested to us still rooting it in that John chapter one stuff with the father, just as the word was, was with God and was God. Right. So we're, 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 we're rooting this in, in the, you know, the idea of the deity of Jesus and everything. But, um, but again, it's, he's not just proclaiming Jesus. He's proclaiming the eternal life. That's what verse two is about. That's what verse two emphasizes right? The life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim the life, not the word, right? But the life. Now, again, I'm not saying that he's not proclaiming the word. I'm just saying that's, that's not what, what, what he's leading up to. I don't see in these first few verses, I don't see him basically making the claim. This is, doesn't seem to be about, he's not making an argument that Jesus is the Christ. You know, he's not you know, saying, hey, so like, let me tell you about this Jesus phenomenon, right? Um, that doesn't seem to me to be the point at all. Instead, what he's doing is saying, so um, the word of life stuff. Um, let's talk about what we have all experienced since the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Since Jesus ascended, right? It seems to me that it's, and that when he says, when he talks about the, the life was manifested, again, is he talking about the incarnation? Is he talking about Jesus? Yes, of course. That was when the life was revealed, the life was manifested. But there's another sense of that too, right? Yes, the incarnation, when the word, when the divine word was made flesh and dwelt among us, eternal life, the eternal life, which was with the father, that was revealed to us, right? We saw it. Again, think of how closely that matches language from John chapter one, right? And yet, um, and yet, um, there's more, right? Yes, the life, the eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested in Jesus when he was incarnate. But that's not where the story ends. 
right? The story goes on from there. And in fact, that eternal life, which was with the father, has been, remember the whole framing mechanism of of verse two, it's been manifested, it's been revealed. Not just manifested in, again, in the incarnate word, but manifested, revealed in us. The life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. In other words, right there, we have seen, and remember how that roots it back, right? That we have seen, this is the same verb as what we have seen with our eyes in verse one. The thing that he's claiming, the things that he's testifying to, the things that he's, you know, stringing all those clauses together about, right, is not Jesus himself. It's the life that was manifested. We have seen and testify and proclaim to you, not that Jesus is the Messiah. Again, he is. It's, it's, it's not that he's denying that. But that, that's not his audience, right? He's not trying to convert people, to convince people to believe that Jesus is the Christ. It's not his agenda here. It's seen, that seems pretty clear, right? Instead, what he's saying is that the life, the life, the eternal life, which was with the Father, has been revealed, was manifested to us. That's what we have seen. It's the stuff about the word of life, right? It's the word of life stuff um, that has been manifested. That's what we're proclaiming to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and which was manifested to us, not at a distance, right? Not just like, yeah, I, I, I was there, man. I saw the eternal life walking around. I mean, he did, and he is saying that, but he's also saying more than that, right? And again, this gets me back to, all right, okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'll, I'll just say it and then I'll apologize for it afterwards. This gets me back to my argument in favor of an inclusive we uh, to some extent and from the beginning here um, because all of them, he and his readers alike, have heard, seen, looked at, and touched with their hands, not necessarily Jesus himself. They didn't dull. I mean, presumably many of his readers did not, in fact, see Jesus with their own eyes, look at him, you know, gaze upon him and touch them with, uh, with, with, with their hands, handle him with, the, with their hands. Um, but they have heard, seen, gazed upon, and handled the eternal life, the life that was manifested. Um, again, the, in this sort of post Jesus experience. And I think that he's um, paralleling those two things. I go back to a wonderful observation, and I'm already forgetting who made it, that wonderful observation that we made back in session number two about how that progression of hearing, seeing, gazing upon, and touching with the hands, um, it kind of, on the one hand, it's sort of parallel. We can see a sort of parallel to the experience that the disciples have when they first encounter Jesus. And we can also see a parallel uh, to the um, encounters with Jesus after his resurrection, right? And I, I really like that. And, and I really like how it kind of works in, in, both, in both ways, right? Yeah, Hillary says, it seems like there's almost a sense of the life is on the loose. What now? Yeah, what now? Um, I, 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 what now would be pretty um, high on my list, uh, Hillary, of like potential um, 
subtitles, <laughs> right? If I had to give this epistle a title other than First John, uh, what now would be one of my? Uh, that I think that'd be that'd be in the running for me as a, like a subtitle of the entire epistle. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's with. Uh, now, I, I, sorry, and I, I told you I was going to apologize later. Um, what, here, here's what I'm going to apologize for. I'm going to come back to the pronoun stuff. Um, we've been having some discussion of the pronoun stuff uh, on Slack as well. Uh, the Greek Geekery channel on Slack has been uh, by far the most active one so far. Uh, but, um, uh, and I, I, I want to come back and talk about that more. But I want to wait until we get to verse four, actually, to go too deep back. And I'll acknowledge it a few times. Um, but there's some more things that I want to say about it. Um, but anyway, so that's what I'm apologizing. I'm apologizing for the fact that I just totally brought it up. Like, uh, and then I'm going to say, but let's not talk about that for a while again, um, which is like borderline irresponsible. So I apologize for that sort of. I, no, I, I, I mostly apologize for that. No, I'm not really sorry. I'm just explaining <laughs> I, I want to wait to talk about it for a little longer. I don't actually repent of bringing it up. Um, but anyway, um, okay, okay. So let's let's see then how this plays out in verse three, where we go. So notice what he immediately does in verse three. So we're we're coming back to remember we don't have verse numbers and we don't have punctuation, right? Uh, in our Greek manuscript, uh, w- which John is writing and which people are reading. So um, you have to give verbal cues. Right. So notice how he, we talked about how by using that same verb and what was our, I'm already forgetting our verb. Um, Ephanarothe, ephanarothe. That's our manifested, revealed uh, verb. Um, So we've got ephanarothe framing the parenthetical there in verse two. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, close parentheses. And now he's going to resume, right? And resuming, notice what he does. He immediately links it straight back to verse 1. What we have seen and heard, right? What we have seen and heard. And let's check the Greek, but I'm pretty sure... Let's look over here. Okay, we have seen, yes, heterokamen. Um, and and yes, I'm pretty sure those are the first same verbs as verse one, right? Yep, akekoamen and herokamen. Yes, exactly. So he repeats precisely the same verbs that he used back at the beginning of verse one, right? So what we have seen and heard serves as like a, it's like a recap, right? He wants to remind you of the whole syntactical structure that he already had going on, right? Uh, remember, I was setting up all those clauses and there wasn't, there was a hole, right? That unnamed thing, which was from the beginning, that unnamed thing that we have heard, that we have seen, that we have looked at, that we have handled with our hands about that thing that's about the word of life, right? It's not the word of life itself. It's about the word of life. So there's, there was suspense building, and then he did the parenthetical about the manifestation of the life, right? Now closing and he comes back and he reminds us what we have seen in her. So remember that unspoken thing yet, right? The hole that was there, the thing that we've seen and heard. We proclaim to you also what we have seen and heard 
we proclaim to you. And boom, there it is. There it is. There's our verb. We finally have a verb, our main verb. What's the main verb? Proclaim. We proclaim to you. Right? <laughs> yeah. Hillary says there's something kind of adorable about how excited John seems to be here. He goes off on a tangent and then is like, oh, right, I was doing a sentence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, right. So the main verb is proclaim. Now, what's conspicuous about that? We proclaim to you. That's the that's our main, that's our main sentence, right? We proclaim that what we have seen and heard. So notice he's still not solved the mystery, right? He's still not told us what it was, like what was in the hole, what, what's even pointing at that thing that was from the beginning, the stuff. What's the stuff that we has was from the beginning and that we heard and saw and handled, right? Well, we don't know yet, but that stuff, again, that we saw and heard, that's the stuff that we're proclaiming. That's it. We're proclaiming the stuff. That's, that's the core of the sentence. Now, this is, we should, all, we should immediately notice something. What should jump out at us about the verb, proclaim? I mean, the fact that it's the main verb is that's pretty significant, right? But, um, but, of course, he's repeating himself again. He just used that verb. We just got that verb, right? It's the same verb, isn't it? Let's look. Okay, here we go. Verse three. What's the verb? Let's find the verb. Where are we? Uh, gazing upon verse two. Okay, here we go. Um, that right, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim. Okay. Epangelomen. 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 Apangelamen. There we go. Something like that, right? Apangelamen. That's our verb. We proclaim. Okay, so, but hang on a second. We scroll back and look, we were apangelamening in verse two. It was the middle. No, not the middle. It was the third one, right? We have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. He just said that. He like totally stole his own thunder in verse two, right? He, he gives us this like sneak preview of the main verb in the parenthesis, right? In other words, notice what he's done. He's provided a context for the main verb. He could have started this way, right? I mean, arguably, arguably, he could have begun with the, the subject and verb, right? He could have led potentially with, you know, I, John, proclaim to you, colon, and then start proclaiming stuff, right? He, he totally, that, that was an option that was open to him, potentially, but that's not what he did, right? Instead, he gives us all of this buildup. The proclamation itself, still a mystery, uh, to, you know, up to that point. But, um, but when, he's, when he now gets around to saying what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, we have a context for this. Wait a second. Why is he, why is he proclaiming? What's, what's his motivation for proclaiming? What's the context of his proclaiming? Well, look what he just said. The life was manifested. The life was revealed. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. Like that's what happens. Remember the, the verb stuff that we were doing there with that progression? Seen, which Lincoln, that's the same verb too, right? We've had, we've had that verb. What is it? Uh, heter, uh, 
Heorakamen. I think it's the stress is the over the alpha there, right? Heorakamen. Um, we've been we've we've had Heorakamen in every verse so far, right? We've seen it with our eyes. We have seen the life that was revealed, and now what he has seen, he is proclaiming. Um, Remember the kind of progression there, what we have seen and testify and proclaim, right? And, and, and that seemed to be, whereas the, there seemed to be a direction of the verbs, like a direction of those clauses, like there was, it was, it was, it was trending, right? It was trending in a direction in verse one, that towards increasing levels of confidence and confirmation, increasing intimacy, right? Um, increasing act, activity on the part of the perceiver right? Um, we saw also another little trend in those three verses, right? I've seen passively, like I just, I, I, it happened in front of me, right? And then I testify to it, right? I can, I can, I can bear witness to use the King James version, right? I can, I, I'm like, I, yeah, like I saw it. I can't deny that I saw it. In fact, I can, I can positively affirm, I can offer forensic proof of the thing because I saw it. Right. And then the third step and to, and proclaim, right. And that those three verbs, the progression that we see in those three verbs is it's like what happens. Um, both progressions really are about what is happening in the hearts of the observer. Right. So notice it's another effect of the whole. I keep calling it the whole here today. Um, but you know, like that, that thing, just the thing that he's pointing to that he hasn't said yet. Um, one of the consequences of leaving it out, of leaving that hole and not saying it, is that he has forced us to wrestle with or to, I don't know, to sort of see what is happening in the mind of the observer, right? Like the thing that's being observed is clearly important. Right. I mean, if we're seeing something and we're testifying to it and we're proclaiming it, we should probably know what it is. Right. Um, uh, and of course, he says a thing in verse two. It's not like a complete mystery. Right. He's talking about the, the eternal life, which was with the father and which was manifested unto us. It's the life that was revealed. But anyway, that both of those progressions show this increasing engagement, increasing certainty, increasing engagement, increasing intimacy on the part of the observer. Right. Moving from. Um, hearing to seeing to gazing upon to handling, right? Improving by touching, um, moving from seeing to testifying to proclaiming, right? And it's almost like having said that, the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim. Like this has happened. We've been through this, right? Um, on a, on a, on a, 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 this is the consequence of the revelation of what, when God reveals the life, the eternal life, the Zoe. When the Zoe has been revealed, what happens? Well, you see it, then you testify, then you proclaim. Oh, by the way, did I get to my main verb yet? I'm going to proclaim to you, right? That's, I'm, I'm doing, like, basically he's like, yeah, man, I'm there. I, I've been there, right? I've been there. I've been through that. That This is exactly, I'm, I'm living out that, that experience for you right here. Right. And so this is, I find this so cool. Again, we often, we often think there in verse one about John speaking of his own eyewitness experience, right? 
like I, I knew Jesus, right? I traveled with Jesus. I touched him with my hands, right? I can testify. I can, um, you know, martyr, what, what is this? The martyr word, right? Yes. Martyrumen. I can martyrumen uh, uh, these things about Jesus, right? But again, it's not about, it's not Jesus was real. Jesus was the Messiah. Um, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. That's not what he's martyrumening, right? That's not what he's testifying to. What he's testifying to is the life, the Zoe, the life that was revealed, the word of life stuff, right? Um, and then in verse three, he's like, and now in real time, I'm, 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 I'm going to do it, right? That's what, I, you know, so like having given you that context, now what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Uh, that live proclaiming happening right now. Um, and uh, yeah, interesting. Alex is asking, uh, do I think the unorthodox way the author introduces his subject and verb is uh, unorthodox precisely because that's how the author experienced and came to understand the word of life stuff? Yeah, in some sense, Alex, yeah. I mean, I think um, the the experience that he creates in us Right? I mean, think about it. Like, think about the experience of the disciples, right? Uh, what happened? Like, some of them, according to the Gospel of John, right? Some of them were actively looking, hoping for the Messiah, right? And were like, hey, we think he's it, right? And they were excited. But then, like, you know, it was a weird trip that Jesus's ministry was a weird trip and ended oddly, right? So, like, the um, nothing kind of came out exactly the you know if you are looking for the messiah especially because you know you're being oppressed and you're kind of hoping for the you know divinely anointed king to come and set israel free like there's a lot to be said for that you know like that that would be attractive so um you know and you think this jesus guy is it so you and we can see the disciples at many points being like okay so is it not right? Are we, are we, do we march on Jerusalem now? Right. I mean, this is, um, and, but then it keeps like not happening and it keeps being weird <laughs> and unexpected. Right. And then he's executed, which didn't seem like the plan at first. Um, and then he's raised from the dead and then he leaves. Right. Then he ascends and says, Oh, but it's uh, it's good. It's good for you that I leave. Right. It's good for you that I leave because then something is going to come after right? There's going to be, well, a revelation of the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, right? Um, so anyway, it's like part of, does it kind of map onto sort of that whole experience, right? Um, I mean, there's a sense in which <laughs> I don't like, I keep talking about that, like, what is being proclaimed is not yet clear, right? Uh, up to this point in verse three, up to this point in this long sentence already. And um, <laughs> I want to, I, I, it's like, I can easily imagine some of the disciples traveling with Jesus and talking to Jesus and being like, you know, we're sharing the good news. What's the good news again? Like, cause we're totally not overthrowing Rome here. Like I, I, I get that. 
right? I've never, right? I'm sure there was a point at which some of the disciples were like, okay, so kicking the Romans out of Judea, not the plan. Okay, kicking the Romans out of Judea, not the plan, or at least not yet, right? We're waiting on that. So, okay, so we're proclaiming um, what exactly <laughs> are we proclaiming? And Jesus is going around in the gospel saying, the kingdom of heaven has come, right? The kingdom has come. And you got to know that there are a whole bunch of Judean peasants going, where? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I, they're like, there's the, oh, there goes the Roman legion, right? <laughs> Marching on patrol uh, right over there. It would be, that would be a good place to start, you know, if we, but no, right? That's not how it works. It's not how it happened. So anyway, Alex, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm thinking about the, this sort of sense of um, like, what is the thing that we're pointing to, right? Um, and that it is not what was expected and that there is this like progression that the word of life stuff, like did, did John during Jesus's lifetime ever come to understand the word of life stuff, right? Did he even get it? on Ascension Day, you know, had he gotten it yet? Um, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I do think that there is a kind of parallel there. And again, I'm not, I don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that like what the gospel is, is a mystery, uh, like that, it, you know, the Bible doesn't say or anything like that. I'm just saying, there is that that element of sort of surprise and <laughs> like it's not what people were looking for and there's this trend of people hearing seeing gazing upon touching um this progression of coming to see and usually being surprised um and it usually not being what they kind of um expected uh it to be and the way in which i do i do see a kind of parallel alex it's almost like he's um bringing us through that same kind of experiment of what is there what is that again it's it's not really a mystery the eternal life we proclaim to you the eternal life he's saying right um but um anyway let's let's go back let's go back to verse three yeah oh i agree sharon says uh um you know, in John's gospel, there are loads of references to testifying that the whole point is eternal life. Like the gospel is like eternal life. The Zoe, right, is available to you now. Um, and as Sharon says, it was easy to miss then and people still miss it now. Absolutely. Absolutely. But let's get back to verse three there. Okay. We proclaim to you also. Now, um, I have to admit, again, when I was studying this for the first time, you know, I had this I'm going to refer back to this a lot because it was for me almost like a first time reading experience. I had read this epistle dozens of times, but when I really sat down and started memorizing it and everything, it was like I was reading it entirely for the first time in my life. And I remember coming to this verse and being like, okay, here we go. Right. Um, uh, Here we go with uh, the proclamation, right? What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And, what I was ready for at that point, like that the, 
the rhetorical momentum seemed to me to be uh, like fitting, right? Perfectly fitting. And then what is it? Like, so what I wanted to hear was what we have seen and heard, we proclaim unto you, colon, right? I wanted a colon or, you know, like not the actual colon because they didn't have that punctuation, but, you know, something like that, right? Um, I wanted like, we proclaim unto you, and this is the proclamation, right? Like we proclaim unto you that Jesus is the Christ, right? That, you know, and there are other things that he will say later on in the letter that would have, I would have nominated as like a perfectly fitting proclamation, right? Um, Like that uh, the father sent the son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay. Like I'd have been so ready for that if that had been the proclamation, you know what I mean? Um, Like had he, had he finished verse three in that way, I'd have been all over it. What we have seen and heard proclaim we unto you that, you know, the word is made flesh and dwelt among us or whatever, right? Um, yeah, Emily, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. What Emily was just saying is the author says he's proclaiming to us. And then instead of making a proclamation, he explains why he's making the proclamation. Yes, that's exactly what he does. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim unto you so that you too may have fellowship with us. So I found myself doubly puzzled and disappointed when I got to this point in the verse, because I was like, first of all, I was, I was ready for, I was on the edge of my seat, ready for the proclamation. And I didn't get the proclamation. Right. Um, Or again, he kind of stole his own thunder in verse two. Like he, he kind of, we got like proclamation spoilers back in the parenthesis, right? Right. Of verse two, but we don't get the proclamation here, right. When we finally get the verb, but instead, so Emily, not only does he do exactly that, right. Does he, does he not make a proclamation, but instead I'm going to explain to you and, and, and let me pause for a second and explain to you why I'm going to proclaim whatever it is that I'm going to proclaim. Right. And that was already a little bit, I was a little bit disappointed because I was all geared up for a proclamation. But then also I found his explanation, frankly, disappointing. I was disappointed. I was disappointed. It wasn't what I was expecting at all. Right. I wasn't expecting that. He's proclaiming so that we may have fellowship with him. Really? So that you may have fellowship with us, unless I'm I'm assuming, verse three. Hang on, um, to uh, which okay, this is verse two. Sorry, right? Proclaim also to you. Just confirming that second person plural. I assumed it was yeah, yeah. Uh, second person plural, so that you second person plural may have fellowship with us. Yeah, okay, good. Um, yeah, okay, so that you may have fellowship with us. Really? Wait, John, this is all about togetherness with you? Really? Like, I. And then, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, bury the lead much? <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, okay, like that would have been a fine proclamation. I'd have been okay with that, right? What we have seen and heard, proclaim we unto you that you may have fellowship with the father. Okay. Now we're cooking with gas. 
right? Okay, if you're gonna like fine, you're not gonna you're gonna put off the proclamation. That's fine. Um, but at least you know like the purpose of my proclamation, like what is driving me to make this proclamation is so that you might have fellowship with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. Okay. But that's not what he says. That's not what he says first anyway, that you may have fellowship with us. It's the unity of us humans, us and John, right? It's our fellowship among ourselves. That is the reason. Oh, and then he puts in a little rider. P.S. And our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, right? And notice, by the way, notice how he sneaks in what I thought was going to be the main proclamation. I got to again talk about burying the wheat, right? I had thought this was going to be the main proclamation. I was ready. What we have seen and heard proclaim we unto you, that Jesus was the son of the Father and was the very Christ, right? The Messiah, the anointed one of the Father, uh, come to be the savior of the world. Like I was, that's what I was, that's what I was primed for. I thought that was totally where we were going in this sentence. And it isn't that he doesn't say it. He does says every single one of those things, right? With the father and with his son, Jesus Christ, just calling him Jesus Christ is a big deal. And this is so easy to take for granted in modern English Bibles, right? That um, the, the word Christ has lost like almost all of its significance to modern English speakers, right? Um, so that it just sounds like Jesus's last name, right? Um, but to say that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, Jesus is the King. I mean, it's what it means. He's a King, right? That's what the Messiah was. He is the anointed one of the Lord. He is the King. Um, so Jesus is King and Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, those are, those are proclamations right? That, that is a proclamation. Um, but no, it's like a PS, right? He doesn't even get to it. Um, uh, he doesn't even get to the, uh, he doesn't even do it as a proclamation. He doesn't even do it as the primary reason for making the proclamation. It's the, like the, the attachment to the reason to making the proclamation. And that's, um, uh, that's amazing, right? That's amazing. And again, my point is not, I, I want to, I'm going to keep going back and saying this because again, John is doing so many things, you know, he's balancing multiple things in the air at one time. That's a totally mixed metaphor. He's keeping two balls in the air and he's balancing things and he's doing all of that at once. He's balancing multiple metaphors at the same time. And he is, um, uh, and we need to keep them both in mind, but it's, it's always easy. Whenever you're reading something like that, this is true when you're reading poetry. It's true when you're reading the epistle of John. It's true when you're reading the prophets. Um, you know, like those times in the prophets where you're like, what are we talking? Are we talking about, are we talking about the Messiah? Are we talking about Israel? Are we talking about a person, you know, like the king or whoever, right? And the answer is, yep, right. Like that's yes, balancing all of these things at once. Um, and so it's, but we as readers, we very naturally kind of like grab onto something like a life preserver in the ocean, right? Especially, you know, when it's like a really complicated, but I know I'm like that when I'm reading the prophets, like I'm reading Isaiah and I am like desperately looking for a piece of flotsam to cling onto, 
right? Um, and so then, like, you know, I'm about to drown when fortunately, like, unto us a child is born, and I'm like, grab, okay, <laughs> all right, I've got something I can hang on to here, right? Um, I know that's my own experience of reading the prophets, and often my experience of reading poems as well. Um, but we need to be cautious that when we grab onto things, we're not like letting everything else go, right? We need to, we need to, we need to keep those things, but we need to keep the other things as well, right? Um, so again, I'm not saying that he is not proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God and the Christ. He just, he just in fact, does that, right? But that's not his main emphasis. He doesn't just say. We have seen and heard and proclaimed to you that Jesus is the son of God and the Christ, right? Um, he could say that. He didn't say that. Um, instead, he invokes that to contextualize his main point. And his main point is that we have fellowship with each other. And that, to me, is a downright shocking point to have. <laughs> a shocking point to have. Um, because I would have thought... Um, I mean, again, like seriously, my reaction to so that you may, you too may have fellowship with us. I'm like, that's the prize, John. I mean, look, John, I'm sure you're a swell guy and everything. And I would have loved to have some fellowship with you, right? I would have loved to, especially since in the vocabulary of like the churches I've always been at to fellowship with somebody means to like stand around and have a cup of coffee with while having often kind of awkward conversation after church. Like that's what it meant to fellowship with somebody. Right. So I'm like, okay, I am. I'm sure John was a great guy. Would have loved to fellowship with him, would have enjoyed a cup of coffee with him. But, um, but that's seriously, that's the sell. (laughs) Like that's the, that's the pay off here. That's what, um, uh, that's the point is so that we may have fellowship, um, we may have fellowship with him. Now, yeah, I agree. Absolutely, Joe. You are, of course, correct. Right? Praise exactly. They're having a potluck dinner. That's what it is, right? That's how you do. Um, Joe, of course, you're absolutely right. That The whole point is that, obviously, and this you can immediately see, right? As soon as I think about having fellowship with other believers, in the context in which I've always understood that concept, right? Um, and I read verse three in that context, it becomes obviously absurd, right? It is perfectly plain. Whatever he means by that, it's not what I've always understood by fellowshipping with other Christians, right? I'm quite sure that he is not saying that the whole point of his proclamation to us is to be able to stand around and have coffee together, right? Um, Now, of course, the word that he's using, which has been peeking over here uh, uh, off the edge of the screen, actually very, uh, very humbly and appealingly the whole time is koinonia. uh, Koinonia, I think that's the correct uh, pronunciation of it. Koinonia. And I, I put that on our list. Right, so it's on our word list now. So we now have RK beginning. We, we need to track that. The life, of course, the Zoe, we need to watch out for that. Um, manifested, ephanerothe, that verb, like the, the, that revelation verb, that's going to be important. And now koinonia, fellowship. Um, this is clearly 
an important concept. Like we know this is an important concept and we know it's an important concept because he's told us it's the point. What's it's the reason why he's making the proclamation right now. Try to be careful. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to define it. I don't want to, I don't want to define koinonia. Right. Um, We'll see. He'll use this verb several times. Right. Remember, as I said at the very beginning, I want as much as possible to build our vocabulary internally to this book. Right. So for now, we're just going to stick a pin in koinonia and we're going to come back to it. Right. But we already learned some stuff about it right here in this. So for, we, we, what have we learned? Right. Um, what have we what have we learned about. Um, uh, uh, about. Koinonia in this, uh, um, in this verse, because we, we, we do learn several things. So, so one thing we've already talked about, right? It's the point. It's the point. I mean, he says it is the purpose for the proclamation, like what he's hoping for, you know, his vision for like, I, you know, I've seen and heard this. And I am proclaiming this unto you so that, right. This is why, this is what I'm doing this for. The goal of writing this epistle is that you may have fellowship with us. So clearly, it's a really big deal, right? It's a really big deal. Um, We can see how important this concept is to him. He doesn't say, I proclaim this to you that you may know that you may believe in Jesus. He doesn't say that, right? Again, I'm not saying he's not in favor of people believing in Jesus, but I'm, but I am saying that's not what he says is the purpose. The purpose, the goal, the outcome, right? The desired outcome is for us to have fellowship with each other, for us believers. This is, he's looking, he's not looking vertically, he's looking horizontally here, right? That we should have fellowship. We have fellowship with him, but then he gives us, we get the word again right away. And indeed our fellowship, right? As we get that, right. Let's see. And uh, uh, yeah, so it was the second koinonia. Look at the, both of the koinonias are peaking right there, right? Um, uh, you have fellowship with us, Kai, right? And indeed the koinonia of us now is with the father. And with the son of him, Jesus, Jesu Christu, right? Um, yeah, praise exactly. That is what I see all the way through this epistle, right? As praise says, the gospel of John was written so that you may believe explicitly, right? Um, this, this is definitely, this is definitely something else. And this is one of the reasons why I was, I was kind of giving warnings Remember back in the very first session, and I was saying like this is this is not this is not an introductory course, right? This is not this is uh, you know we're not going to be talking about like the top five reasons like why you should believe that Jesus is the Messiah, or like we're not going to be you know explaining answers to like objections that people have to the idea of Jesus as the Son of God or so. John, this is that's given as given here um that the people already believe the people he's writing to already believe is assumed 
from the very beginning. Um, but again, what do we learn? What do we learn about koinonia? Our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, um, let's... Um, yeah, I, there is a sense of privilege to it, Alex. I, I, I agree with that. Um, okay, so trying to trying to sort of feel my way through this here. Um, I'm trying to be, let me explain to you. I'll just say out loud what I'm thinking in my head here. Here's what I'm trying to be cautious about. I'm trying to be cautious not to go beyond what the text says explicitly. Um, my temptation, I don't want to call it a temptation. That's not quite the right word. My inclination. My inclination is to say that he is paralleling the fellowship. They're like three groups. Maybe you could do this as like a, a sort of Venn diagram or whatever, right? First, we have our fellowship with him, right? Fellowship number one, the fellowship of the humans, right? And then on the other hand, you have the fellowship of the father and the son, like with each other. You've got father and the son who are introduced together there with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Right, so you've got the father and so you've got the humans over here and you've got the father and the son over here. And that he is both kind of giving us both of those things and putting them in, into a kind of parallel, right? That my inclination, getting back to my inclination, so my inclination is to see a parallel there, right? To suggest that the koinonia among us is parallel to the koinonia among, like, between the father and the son themselves, right? So that the very the very in, uh, interactive love and life of the Trinity itself is the parallel to the fellowship that we should have among us. That's my inclination. And then, of course, there's the two little circles in my little fake Venn diagram, right, are then encompassed by the bigger circle because, of course, we're all connected, right? It's not just us in fellowship over here and them the father and the son in fellowship over here, we're in fellowship with them, right? And in fact, their own fellowship embraces all of it. But exactly, Seth, that's why I use the word temptation in the first place, because he doesn't talk about the fellowship between the father and the son. I agree. You could say it's implied that the structure suggests it, but I don't want to lean on it too hard. That's why I was pausing. So this is me saying aloud the debate I was internally having there for a moment, which is why I wasn't talking for a second, because that's exactly, Seth, the line of thinking that I was doing there, that um, I don't want to go beyond what the text says, um, because it doesn't explicitly say that the Father and the Son are in fellowship. We are going to get to some very Trinitarian stuff. I mean, first John is one of the like cornerstones of Trinitarian doctrine, essentially uh, in the new Testament. Um, if, um, if you're, I mean, if you want a single Bible verse uh, to 
support, explicitly support the doctrine of the Trinity, you go to first John, right? We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get to the big Trinity verse uh, later on. Um, but um, uh, it's not, it's not for a little while. Chapter four, isn't it? I'm forgetting. It's, it's, it all runs together in my mind. Remembering chapter and verse is my big weakness from having the, it's the, the thing that I didn't do when I was, uh, when I, cause I, I can, when I was memorizing, I was considering like inserting the verses in my like recitation of it and rehearsal of it to myself so that I could remember the verses, but I hated interrupting the flow. Like I, I wanted to just have the flow. So I didn't do it. So as a consequence, I can barely even remember which chapter things are in now. Um, but anyway, um, so he said, I exactly agree with you. He doesn't explicitly say that. So I don't want to go quite so far as that, but here's what he does say, right? What he does say very explicitly um, is that our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Right. So we have fellowship with both of them. Um, and I called it a writer. I was kind of teasing John a little bit, like for burying the lead, right. By saying like this, what seems like a massive proclamation is just kind of tagged on to the end of the sentence. Um, but teasing aside, it's not in fact an add on, right. It's an explanation. Um, why, why should we have fellowship with one another? Like, let's think about this, right? Like, you don't want to just jump into that kind of thing, right? Why should we have, like, why should we have fellowship? Like, why is it desirable that we have fellowship with one another for one thing? Second, why should we think we do have fellowship with one another, right? I mean, like, okay, even if we agree that it would be nice, what assurance do we have of that fellowship, right? And it seems to me that the answer to both of those questions is given in that latter statement. And indeed, our fellowship. Notice how he's, notice what he's done with pronouns here. We'll, we'll look at the pronouns here, right? Um, you and us, right? We proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Um. And then our fellowship, that is all of our together. That is very clearly an inclusive us, right? All of our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. So how do we know? Why should we think that we have fellowship one with another? Where does that idea come from? What justifies us in believing that we have fellowship one with another? And the answer is, well, because we have fellowship with the father and by the transitive property. Um, and by the way, I think that the transitive property is like absolutely the philosophical core of this entire epistle. Um, you know, that property that says if two things are equal, both equal to a third thing, they're equal to each other. Right. Um, that's, that is like the heart of John's thinking. Why do we have fellowship with each other? Well, yeah, exactly. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Yeah, exactly. If, um, if I have fellowship with the Father, if I am joined in unity with the Father in some sense, I am joined together with the Father, and you are joined together with the Father, 
then it doth follow as the night the day that we are joined with each other. It can't be otherwise. That is why that you may have fellowship with us is the punchline, is the reason, is the purpose of the whole proclamation. The life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was manifested, which was revealed unto us. Since the eternal life has been revealed to us, we have fellowship with one another because we're in fellowship. We're in koinonia with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, through the life, the Zoe, that was manifested, right? The word of life stuff. This word, the word of life stuff that we've experienced is this fellowship with the Father, this eternal life. And he says, this is the point. Great. So you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Good. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. Excellent. Through that belief, you now have fellowship with the Father. You've come into, you've established a relationship with God, right? Great. What happens now? Um, what was, uh, Hillary, what was that? Uh, I've already forgotten exactly how you worded it. What now? There it is. Yeah. What now? What now? And the answer to what now is we have fellowship one with another. Let's think about our relationship to each other. John's thinking about it. And in fact, it's thinking about it. It's thinking about that, that has led him to this whole proclamation, right? And that, I think it is so important for us to ground ourselves in this notion, right? For us to see this because this is, um, uh, this is what he's, he's going to spend a lot of time in this letter, um, uh, building on this, right? Um, we're going to get a lot of different ways of talking about this, of explaining, um, the implications of this. And I think there will be times, I think, when we are going to be tempted, maybe inclined um, to focus on a vertical, like a purely vertical thing, right? Um, like when G, just even just like later on in John, when he's talking about this stuff, right? Like this is about our relationships to God, right? A whole bunch of separate vertical lines connecting ourselves to God and that John is getting up in our business as he's going to get in our business so many times about so many different things in this epistle. Right. Um, but that he's getting up into our business about our relationship with God. Right. But I think we have to remember this because I believe what we will see is that he's almost never in this epistle, just interested in the vertical. I'm not saying he's not interested in the vertical, but I think that he is persistently interested in that horizontal, that you may have fellowship with us. Um, what now? What does this mean? What does this mean? Um, we have eternal life. The eternal life was revealed. The life was revealed. 
and he is proclaiming to us the eternal life. Again, notice the parallel. Seen and testifying, proclaim to you the eternal life. What we have seen and heard, proclaim we unto you, you know, the eternal life, so that you may have fellowship with us. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, exactly, Alex. Uh, the vertical relationship is a foundational element, but it's a prereq, not the main thing. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's, it's, it's not that he's not saying it's important, it's, but he's taking it for granted. Again, like, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. Like, P.S., like, by the way, right? Or like, granted that we are in fellowship with the father and his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like that's a huge thing that he's taking as a given there. Right. Um, but that's how this whole epistle rolls is taking that as a given, starting off with that as a given. Um, uh, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Let me, let's, Let's do a quick cruise through some of the other translations and look at what they emphasize uh, in this verse. Um, okay, so we've added koinonia to our word list. That's going to be important. All right. The King James. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, may have fellowship. Um, so you'll notice, Mike, that the King James does use... so use fellowship in two different ways, right? We may, uh, ye may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship noun is with the father. Um, let's, let's, uh, no, we're not walking in the light yet. Okay. There we go. Um, uh, yeah, they're both nouns in the Greek. Yes. You may have fellowship, accusative singular noun. Um, Fellowship is the thing that you may have with us. And then indeed, the fellowship of us is now. So it's nominative. It's the subject of that clause, right? Indeed, the fe- our fellowship, the fellowship of us now is with the Father, right? Um, so both of them are nouns. The King James, um, I know, like, have fellowship, it's also a down there too but the phrase like you may have fellowship it's like a verb ish if you see what i mean anyway um uh yeah let's see thinking of the right serena's thinking about present and future fellowship um well it's interesting serena um Notice how if it is present and future, it's the opposite of what we would normally think of, right? Again, like we normally think like, okay, now in the present, we have fellowship with one another, right? But someday in the future, right? Like after death, when we shall, you know, know even as we are known and all that, then we'll have fellowship with the Father. Right. So like the eternal stuff is future and the temporal stuff is present. Right. But it's exactly the opposite. It's that it's the fellowship with father, which is the present tense. Our fellowship is with the father. Like that's the basis. That's the starting point. Right. The fellowship with each other. That's the future thing. That's the dubious thing. That's the thing that he's like asserting. 
That's what he's got to teach us about. Because if he doesn't teach us about it, we may screw it up. Right. Um, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the future. So again, it's, it, there is a kind of like eternal temporal divide, but if it is, it's like backwards from what we might expect. And I don't think eternal, I wouldn't use eternal and temporal anyway, uh, temporal meaning within time, eternal, uh, you know, beyond time. Um, because I don't think that that distinction applies here. I don't think that one of these kinds of fellowship is an eternal one and the other is a temporal one. Um, I think that our fellowship with each other is as eternal as our fellowship with the father. Um, And I think our fellowship with the father is as temporal as our fellowship with each other as well. Um, We live a temporal life in fellowship with other temporal people here in this world. We live a temporal life with God as well. God might be eternal, but we are not. And we are walking with him in a very non, in a very temporal way, day by day, living out that fellowship with the father. Um, so it applies to both, I think in that way. Um, but um, anyway, Okay, let's see. NAV, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Interesting. Uh, They make the writer a totally separate sentence. Um, Sort of fragmenty kind of fellowship. Um, And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Period feels awkward. You get the impression that the NIV folks were kind of like, dude, this sentence, right? I mean, if we're going to make this readable in modern English, like the NIV wants to be like, come on, man, we cannot have, <laughs> we can't invest in that kind of sin, that kind of syntactical architecture, right? We've got to, uh, we've got to, we got to cut this down here. Um, um, yeah. And then uh Okay, the New Revised Standard, we declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you're, they make the so that even stronger, I think, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, good. Yeah, this first seems to be, the translation is a little bit more straightforward, a little simpler. All right, let's get the fun ones. CEV, what do we get? We are telling you what we have seen and heard so that you may share in this life with us. Oh, I feel I was, I was reading, I'm reading, I'm like, I feel like something's missing. Oh, I, I know what I was missing. Proclaiming, that's what I was missing. They just rendered it as we're telling you, which, okay. I mean, that sentence wouldn't have led me to the same level of disappointment, right? I mean, again, remember, like, what I was looking at was the King James, right? I was memorizing the King James, and like, listen to the way that that rolls off, right? That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that, bam, right? I mean, like, oh, come on, like, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, colon, man, like, oh, doesn't it sound like, it's like, okay, hang on a second, wait, pause while I turn up the reverb, right? Here it comes, the big proclamation. In the CEV version, we don't get that at all. We're telling you what we have seen and heard so that you may share in this life with us. It doesn't like we don't, there's not that same sense of letdown, right? Um, yeah. So that you may share in this life with us. Okay. 
Uh, notice the CEV explicitly brings the Zoe in, right? There's no actual Zoe in verse three. But I mean, I, I agree. Like, that's what we're pointing to. Um, and they've rendered koinonia simple as share in this life with us. I don't think they're wrong. I think it's just what he's talking about. I kind of miss the word. I mean, he re- they repeat the same verb at least, and we share in it with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, here's the problem. I think they paint themselves into a corner there a little bit. You see what I mean? Like, by bringing in the Zoe, like, John doesn't talk about the Zoe, right? And by saying, so that you may share in this life with us, and we share in that life, right? We share in it with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. That syntactically makes the life, the Zoe, a third, a separate thing, right? Like, here's the Father and the Son and us sharing in the life, as if the life is separate from the Father and the Son, which I don't think it is. Um, it's, I think that's part of the revelation. It's the word of life, right? The, 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 um, the Logos and the Zoe are connected from the start. And that seems to me to detach it in a, an unfortunate way, I think. Um, so that's, that's hard. That's hard. And as I say, although they repeat the verb share, the verb share is not exactly the same thing as the noun koinonia, I think. And I think I'm going to be missing it when we come back to koinonia later on and this whole concept. Now, koinonia is not a word. I actually was like, I debated whether or not to put it on the word list, actually, Um, because it's not repeated a whole lot of times. It's not one of his favorite words. Like there's a bunch of words, which are John's favorite words, like that he will come back to time and time again uh, throughout the entire book. Um, But Koinonia is not one of them. He doesn't, he doesn't hit it explicitly often. Um, Yeah, exactly. Alex, uh, four is how many I counted to, and they're all right here, like two of them in this verse. We're halfway through the Koinonias already, right? And the other two are coming up just in a couple of verses um, uh, right here in the first half of chapter one. So, okay, I guess it's not, chapter one is short. Anyway, here in chapter one is, is all the Koinonia we're going to get. Um, so it's not like in, in that sense, as far as like sheer number of repetitions, it's not one of the big, big vocabulary words of first John, but I think it's really foundation. I mean, the, merely the emphasis that he places the 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 way that it the word koinonia is where the spotlight is shining right i mean like so far after sentence number one you know so far i'm ready to say you know this epistle brought to you by the word koinonia right if i'm shining a spotlight onto one word in this entire sentence i'd be tempted with zoe zoe is pretty important um uh but, uh, you know, uh, revealed, manifested, that, that'd be a candidate too. Um, but koinonia might be the, um, uh, the, uh, the biggest one, um, I think, so far. So that by itself, um, although he's not going to use the word after the first chapter, I think that the concept, what he has, is pointing us to right now in verse three, is like what he's going to be building on the whole rest of the book. So even though, again, it's not going to become one of his repeated phrases, he's going to do it. So anyway, so I'm, I still, but the way in which we don't get like that term to anchor, if I were translating, and again, I, 
I, I, I feel a little bit guilty. I don't want to sound like I'm just like trying to nitpick and, and, you know, tear down the people who are working on these translations and stuff like that. They're, they're doing great, good work. And I'm not like, it's, I'm glad it's not me. Like I, I, I could never make a satisfying translation. Um, but if I were in the position of translating first John, one of the things that I think I would say is a really important premise of the translation would be to represent because the repetitions are so important, I think in first John, so pervasive and so important that um, I would really want to highlight the repetition and make sure that I kept using the same word. But again, it's really hard because even when he's using the same word again and again, he's often using it in different senses, right? He's often kind of inviting us to think about the different ways, the different concepts and ideas that it brings together. So, you know, even doing that, even just choosing the same English word every single time he uses it, would preserve one thing, right? But would not necessarily preserve all the things that he's um, that he's trying to do. Um, and then, okay, then the message. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. See what they did? They unburied the lead, right? You can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. They make the communion, the koinonia with the Father and his Son, the whole point that he was building up to. And the fact that we're experiencing it in common together, the fact that we're sharing a shared experience of communion becomes incidental. I mean, it might be nice for you to experience it along with us, but the point is that you experience it, right? The point is that you experience the communion with the Father. Um, it doesn't even bring in um, our communion with each other, right? Oof, oof. It's tough. Like I said, I wouldn't want to be a Bible translator. It's a hard life. Um, okay. All right. Um well, that was a lot. Um, let's see. Okay. Next week, next week, first four, first four is really short. Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do five, but we'll, we'll finish the first paragraph. What is usually the first paragraph? Um, uh, this, by the way, is one of the things that I, I want to be thinking about together. Um, I dislike Bible translations that give subheadings, I understand, like I do understand why they do it. And it's very helpful in some ways, but I, I try to ignore them. Um, I primarily ignore them because the fact, or like by means of the fact that I almost am, I'm, I do about 98% of my reading with my ears and not with my eyes. So um, the audiobook texts never do subdivisions. I would never listen to an audiobook text that did subdivisions because it's too much of an intrusion. Um, so uh, I don't usually, when I'm just reading the Bible, I usually don't get them uh, for that reason. But um, uh, I, I think it will be interesting for us to decide 
where we think there are breaks, like where paragraph breaks basically should be. Most of the translations all seem to agree that verse four is the end of the first paragraph. Kind of, um, but we'll see. Um, anyway, um, we'll get there. So that's what we'll do next week. So, um, so don't forget, I mentioned at the very beginning that we are having study next week, back to our normal time. Thanks again for flexibility, folks who are attending live and I did shift the time. So thanks for that. Um, but um, I'll be, we'll, we'll be back next week. I will be away for three weeks after that. So we will have study on the, what is it? The 13th next Sunday. And then I won't be back again until April actually, like the 10th of April. Um, uh, so it'll be, a lo- it'll be a long time, I'm afraid. I'll be traveling for three weekends in a row. Um, but so hope you guys can be patient with me. Don't forget to join our uh, Slack instance if you would like to join um, our Slack discussions, our, our discussion boards where we can we do uh, can discuss the language more, can uh, talk about ideas, can talk about uh, sort of applications and sharing and, and prayer requests and things like that. Um, just send me an email. All you have to do, go to the Students of the Word website and fill in the contact form at the bottom of the page and that'll send me an email and I'll send you the invite to join the Slack discussion. So uh, just do that. And that way I won't forget. I think I saw at least one person ask in the chat, which is great, but I'm totally, in fact, I've already forgotten which one of you did that. Uh, so just send me an email, go, go to the contact list and send me an email. And then my inbox will remind me uh, to do that. Um, so anyway, Uh, Thank you guys for joining me. This has been a really fun discussion today, and I look forward to chapter four and maybe even a peek into chapter five next week. And as you could hear, I rather comically misspoke there at the end of the episode. Uh, That is verse four and verse five, not chapter four and chapter five. What are you, crazy? Getting into chapter four already? That'd be nuts. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, but hopefully we shall indeed get to verse four and possibly verse five. So thanks, everybody. uh, And I hope you guys will join me again next week. Bye now.